Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're already there, but if you're not there, go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 107. We're going to spend most of our time today. Really good to see all of you here and uh, to be gathered together this morning and to look at God's word. Um, such a blessing to be able to gather and worship God. And I was thinking of, as we sang those songs, um, how moving the words of the songs that we sang are. Behold our God, to whom will you liken God? Um, this year, as we've been studying through the Bible, reading from cover to cover has been the goal, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Uh, the big question that I've been encouraging you to ask as you're reading through the Bible is, what does this story teach me about who is God? And throughout the year, we've taken time to look at different aspects of God and of his character, um, trying to just learn a little bit more about who is this God that we serve. And so I don't know if you remember this far back, but at the beginning of the year, we talked about God, the creator, the impact of God being our creator on our lives. We've looked at um, the God whose name is Yahweh. What is God's name? His name is Yahweh. What does that mean? He is eternal, that he is everlasting, that he is the same. We talked about El Shaddai, that is the Lord Almighty, God Almighty, his great power. We talked about the Holy One of Israel and tried to grasp a bit of what it means when the Bible says that God is holy. Uh, we looked at from the book of Jeremiah at Yahweh, the fountain of living waters, um, and the one who can satisfy and quench our thirst. We talked about the God of justice and righteousness. And um, I think most recently we talked about God, the God of anger and wrath. And so today um, it, we've come to the last lesson that I'm going to be giving on the subject this year. Um, today, I want to look with you at the, the loving kindness of the Lord, the loving kindness of the Lord. Um, I really don't know how to do this. I've been wrestling with this for a few days. How do you how do you talk about the loving kindness of the Lord? Truly, that is an inexhaustible topic. Um, how do you do that in 30 minutes or 40 minutes? You know, um, not an easy task. And so I started out by just going through like the Bible. And I wanted to look at every time this special word, hesed, you know, that Hebrew word is used throughout the Old Testament, like 250 times about God in different ways, describing who God is. It's a word that's really hard to translate. I think Richard's uh, translation in the NIV said, um, described as, as the Lord's unfailing love. Mine, my translation, word I'd be using most often today is the loving kindness. Really, none of those are fully adequate to describe the depth of this word. There's really not an English word. And that's why you'll see this translated in so many different ways. If you read five different translations, you may see five different ways that this is translated, but it's all over the Bible. And so I thought about maybe we'll just go and look at, you know, the whole story of scripture and start in Genesis and talk about, see how this is emphasized about God from Genesis all the way. And I was like, Man, I don't know if I could do that in 30 or 40 minutes. Um, and then I, as I was reading through, many of these places. And by the way, even just looking at the times the word is used is, is not enough because there's so many times that you see the loving kindness uh, displayed, but the word itself is not being used throughout scripture. You really need to read the whole Bible, right? Um, to be able to cover this topic. But um, I came to uh, Psalm 107. And uh, in many of the Psalms, you get to see really pictures of God's loving kindness on display. But this one I thought was really cool because this psalm gives us four different pictures of God's loving kindness on display. 
four different pictures that really I think are meant to represent and to kind of uh, encapsulate the history of Israel, all that we've been studying in the Old Testament up until this point. Each of these stories is meant to encapsulate, maybe from a different perspective or from a different vantage point, the beauty of God's loving kindness and how he works in the lives of his people. So today I want to just look at with you at the psalm. We'll try to talk a little bit about the story of, uh, of God's loving kindness in the lives of his people um, from the vantage point simply of this one psalm, Psalm 107. And I hope that this just kind of um, whets your taste buds, you know, and encourages you to explore this more. If there's this much in one psalm, which we won't exhaust today, how much more in the rest of the Bible as we look at Yahweh's loving kindness, his unfailing love. Here's the question I want you to be asking today. How do we know that the Lord is really loving? How do we know that the, that the Lord is really kind? Especially in a world where there's lots of things that happen that cause people to question that. They question whether there could be a God who would allow such things to happen. And if there is a God, he surely isn't loving. For if he was, how could these things be? How do we know that the Lord is really loving? Psalm 107 begins, Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And then he says, verse 2, let the redeemed of Yahweh say so. I like it much better in the NIV where he says, let the redeemed of Yahweh tell their story. Tell their story. And let me just say this as we get going here, that everybody whom Yahweh has redeemed from the hand of an adversary has a story. Everybody has a story to tell concerning the loving kindness of Yahweh. All of us who've been gathered from the east to the west, from the north to the south, all of us who've been redeemed should be telling that story of the loving kindness of the Lord. We are given this opportunity to proclaim, to testify about the loving kindness of the Lord in our lives. And that's exactly what the psalmist is doing here. But I don't think he's doing it only on his own behalf. Although I think if we were to ask the psalmist here, you know, do you see yourself in this story? I think he would say, yes, absolutely. But I don't think he's just saying it on behalf of himself or even on behalf of a certain period of Israel's history. I really think each of these stories, each of these word pictures that we get in Psalm 107 are meant to kind of encapsulate the whole story of all of God's people. And so I hope that as we look at this, you will see your life. You will see yourself in the story of the loving kindness of the Lord. And I'll try to help you to do that as we do this together. How do we know that the Lord is really loving? There's a few answers that the psalmist gives, but the first one in verses four to nine is that he retrieves the lost wanderer. He retrieves the lost wanderer. He retrieves the wanderers and leads them to rest. When I read verses four to nine, this first picture here that we see, I can't help but think of the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Um, do you guys remember this story? You remember Ishmael was the, was the son 
that was not the son of promise. It was when Abram tried to do it his own way, where Sarah and Abram were like, this isn't working. Trusting God isn't going to actually isn't going to actually work this all out. The only way that God's promises can be fulfilled is if we take action here and we fix it and we do it our way. And so that's how Hagar conceived Ishmael. But that was not God's plan. And, 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 and Ishmael was not the son of the promise. And so God had promised that that his loving kindness would follow Abraham wherever he went. But what about the illegitimate son? You remember that Hagar and uh, and Sarah had some issues, uh, especially, as you can imagine, after Hagar gave birth to a son, there were some issues there. Sarah, you can imagine, struggled with jealousy. And eventually things got so bad that Abraham, with the approval of the Lord, sent Hagar and Ishmael away. And I want you to think about what that would be like if you were Hagar, leaving behind the only security that you'd had for many years, at least, if not ever known, leaving that all behind, the house of Abraham, what you had known to be your safe place, your place of refuge, and starting on that journey, wandering through the desert, looking for a city of refuge. We know the story. Though Abram sent her out with a flask of water, eventually the water ran out. Though Abram sent her out with food to eat, eventually the food ran out. And then Hagar and, and the boy, Hagar and Ishmael, became hungry and thirsty. And as their souls began to faint within them, Hagar had to make the choice that every mother dreads, every mother's worst nightmare. And the choice that Hagar had to make was, whether she would stay with her son and watch him cry until he died or whether she would leave her son and listen to his cries from a distance. Hagar making the impossible choice made the dreadful choice to walk away. And the story tells us in Genesis 21 that she's sitting away weeping and Yahweh heard her cry in trouble. And he heard the cries of her boy, Ishmael, and he said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard his cries. Lift up the boy, take him by the hand. And God opened up her eyes and she looked and there was a well of water. God quenched her thirst and he saved their lives. He satisfies the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he fills with what is good, verse nine. What was true for Hagar then would also be true time and time again for Israel. Think about Israel wandering through the wilderness. Did you think of that as we read these verses? Think about all the times that they were wandering aimlessly, not even knowing where they were going. And as they were wandering, they became hungry and they became thirsty. And truthfully, sometimes because of their own stubbornness, Sometimes their suffering was actually because of their own sin. And yet, wasn't it true? Time after time, each time in Yahweh's steadfast, loving kindness, that unfailing love, when they cried out to him, he gave them water to drink. He gave them food to eat. He rained down bread from heaven, manna from heaven. He gave them quail to eat. He provided for them again and again and again. When they cried to him, he satisfied the thirsty. And, he, and their hungry souls he filled with what was good. Do you see yourself in the story? 
Can you remember times in your life where you've been lost, wandering around aimlessly, confused, not knowing where to go? Can you think of times in, in your fear and your confusion in which you have chased after broken wells, running from one broken well to the next, hoping to find something that will quench your thirst, but coming up empty? Do you remember the times when you finally, out of desperation, cried out to the Lord and he heard your cry and he delivered you from your distress? What does the text say? Let us give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men. Amen. Amen. Not only is Yahweh the retriever of the wanderer, he's also the one who redeems the enslaved and the imprisoned. Look at verses 10 to 16 again. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. How do we know that the Lord is really loving? He took those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, those who were imprisoned in misery and chains. And when they cried to him, he saved them. He brought them out of darkness and he broke their bands apart. Uh, this reminds me of at least a couple of stories in the Old Testament. First of all, Reminds me of the story of the Exodus. I mean, think about, consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider the unfailing love, the loving kindness of the Lord in the Exodus story. In order to really appreciate the depth of God's love, we have to appreciate the uh, the suffering of the people of Israel um, in Egypt. To really appreciate his love, we must also appreciate the depth of darkness that sometimes we find ourselves in in this world. And Israel found themselves deep in darkness in Egypt. Consider all the dimensions of their bondage. And we've talked about this earlier in the year, but consider first the political oppression. Imagine being an ethnic immigrant minority, vulnerable to the state-sponsored terrorism being carried out against your people. Not an easy position to be in. Uh, think about the economic exploitation. Uh, there have been a lot of talk over the past few weeks as the World Cup is going on about the exploitation of workers in Qatar. Um, this is Qatar on a whole nother level. Like this is way, way worse because the Israelites became a convenient source of cheap labor for the host nation. And they were exploited day after day, week after week, year after year enduring economic exploitation. Not only that, there's the social victimization that's going on. Think about the constant interference in family life. You could be pulled out at any moment and put on a job. You could be you know, pulled out of your home. There's no peace. There's no quiet. You are required to do whatever your taskmasters tell you to do. And then how about the state-sponsored genocide of all the male-born Israelite infants going on throughout Egypt? the social victimization, and now add to that the spiritual oppression as they're serving Pharaoh, a man, a self-proclaimed God in Egypt, and they're serving this man who's proclaiming himself to be God while they're unable to go about and freely serve the true God, Yahweh, the, one, the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Consider the plight in Egypt. 
consider the beauty of what Yahweh did for them. Yahweh delivered them in all four of these areas. He delivered them from the political injustice. He delivered them from economic exploitation. He delivered them from the social violence they were experiencing. And he gave them spiritual freedom to be able to come out into the wilderness and enjoy a covenant relationship with him at Mount Sinai. And therefore, Israel sang a song in Exodus 15 about the loving kindness of the Lord, about his un failing love. In so doing, Yahweh proved his steadfast love, his faithfulness, fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham. But verse 11 says that they experienced this deep darkness because they had rebelled against the words of God, which makes me think that there may be actually another story in mind here in this word picture, and that would be the story of captivity. Think about the, 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 the story that we've been recently uh, reflecting on where now Israel's enslaved. Think about this. Get the picture here. They've been delivered out of captivity. They've been rescued. They've been delivered from all their distresses. They've been given this land of rest where they can enjoy the freedom to worship their God as they choose. And after all of that, they break the covenant. They rebel against God again and again. They were stubborn and spurned the counsel of the Most High as verse 11 said, therefore, Yahweh, in his steadfast love, humbled them and humbled their hearts with labor. And they stumbled and there was no one to help. And I just want to ask you this. Can you think about times in your life where maybe God has taken things away from you? Where maybe God has left you in a place where you were alone and there was no one to help. So that you would come to your senses and recognize where all the blessings are coming from. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, when did he come to his senses? When no one gave him anything, then he realized from where he had come. Thinking about the story of Israel here, what kind of a people, having experienced that kind of redemption from God, having experienced that kind of blessing, having experienced that kind of faithfulness from God, what kind of a people would spurn his counsel, would rebel against him and go right back in to Egypt? The misery of slavery that they were in before. But you guys know the story. They were longing for it from about the time they left. They were longing to go back, wishing they could be back in slavery. And eventually God gave them what they wanted and he sent them back into captivity. And I don't know about you, but that's where the story of uh, Caleb's steadfast love ends. You know, like if I'm God, like that's the end of the story. You guys had a chance. I rescued you. I gave you the place of rest. I gave you the freedom of religion. I spared you from the violence. I protected you from all this. And now you do this to me. That's where the relationship ends. But not this God. This is where the faithful love, the steadfast love of the Lord really comes into even fuller view what will God do after Israel rebels against him, even after he's rescued them from the depths of darkness and the shadow of death? What will he do when they spurn his counsel and ignore his messengers? Through his steadfast love, he humbles them. He lets them experience again what it is like when there's no one there to help. But then when they cry to him, he hears. 
He saves them out of their distresses. He brings them again out of darkness and the shadow of death. He breaks their bands apart. And isn't that what we're seeing in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, that God has once again set his people free. And therefore we say, let us give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. I want you to think about times in your life where you've been enslaved, where you've been in chains. I want you to think about times where you've been imprisoned in misery, stuck and thinking there's no way out. Consider God, the loving kindness of the Lord, our Redeemer, who has rescued the enslaved and rescued us from the bonds of sin and of death who has shattered the gates of bronze and broken us forth from the prison and cut away the bars of iron asunder. What a God we serve, a God full of loving kindness. Look at the third picture here in verses 17 to 22. The picture here is of God, not just a God who retrieves the wanderer and redeems the enslaved and imprisoned. But here he's the God who restores the sick. He's the restorer of the ones who are sick. But this is no ordinary kind of sickness. This is a sickness to really uh, uh, appreciate the depth of his love. We need to remember that this is a sickness that, does, that comes uh, with blame. That is, this is a sickness that has come because of sin. And in fact, when you read the picture here, verse 17, fools because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities were afflicted and their soul abhorred all kinds of food. They drew near to the gates of death. We need to appreciate that this sickness is caused by sin. They were foolish. They were rebellious. Their iniquities caused them to be afflicted. And when I read this story, I can't help but think of the story of David. You remember David writing in Psalm 32, I presume about the, about uh, Bathsheba, about the blessing of him whose sins are forgiven. In that Psalm, he said this. He said, when I kept silent, I'm inserting here about his sin. When he kept silent, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Consider the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. It was not his first sin. It's not like that's the first time that David had broken God's covenant or failed to obey God as he ought to. But it sure was a grievous one. Stealing the wife of one of his mighty men, one of his closest companions, one of the ones who put daily laid down his life for his king, and then murdering him to cover up his sin. And even though there was no immediate punishment, you know, no immediate consequence for David after he stole this man's wife, then uh, then killed her husband. You can imagine that what those days were like for David. As he just kind of rotted away in the filth of his guilt. As he worked hard to cover up his sin day after day, as he worked hard to make sure nobody knew. You've been there. Some of us have been there, haven't we? Where we're trying to cover it up, trying to move on with life, trying to make, make, pick up the pieces and keep it going. 
But as David rotted away in the sickness of his sin, what did God do? God sent his word to David in the form of the prophet Nathan. And as Nathan told this story about a man who had every sheep he could want, who then had a guest and he went out and he stole from his poor neighbor, the only sheep that he had, the precious lamb, his own house pet. David exclaimed that the one who did this should die. And he was right about that. But Nathan looked at him and he said, you are the man. And at the moment, David finally recognized the depth of his sin and what his sin was doing to him. What strikes me about this story is what happens next. God sent his word. God sent Nathan the prophet not to strike him down, which is what I would expect, but rather to turn him back around and to turn him back to God. The amazing thing is that God then, through the same prophet, shockingly told him when he turned away and said that I have sinned, he told him Yahweh has forgiven your sin. He sent his word. He healed him. He delivered him from his destruction. Of course, Yahweh did this again and again, not just for David, but also for Israel. Think about the cycle of sin that Israel continued to go through day after day, year after year, generation after generation. Yahweh did it again and again for his people, and he's done it again and again for us. Do you remember being so sick in sin that you were destined for the gates of death? Do you remember the sleepless nights in pain and in agony as you suffered even consequences for your own sins? Do you remember the nights you tried to drink the pain away and things got worse and worse and worse until you came close to taking your own life? Many of us have been there. Many of us know the sickness of sin, how deep that pain is. Let us give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness, for he sends his word, he heals, and he delivers us from our destructions. When we cry, to our, when we cry out to him in our troubles, he saves us out of our distresses. Amen. There's one more picture here in verses 23 to 32. And this is a picture of, uh, of a sailor in a storm. Those who go down to the sea, verse 23, in ships who do business on great waters, they've seen the works of Yahweh and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. When I read this, I'm reminded of a few occasions in my life. One of them was shortly after we got married. Um, we went to the Caribbean um, on our honeymoon and uh, decided that we were going to take a sunset sail um, with one guy um, on a boat, even though neither of us knew how to sail. Um, not a good idea, by the way. You know, if he, I was just thinking about that this morning. If he he would have passed away suddenly on the on this on the ocean. We would have been in some big trouble. But I remember as we were out there, you know, it's very calm, peaceful, beautiful. And then it's seemingly out of nowhere. 
we turn, Lindsay and I turn and look, and there's just a wall of water. It's all you can see. It's just up as far as it uh, felt like as far as you could look up. There's just a wall of water. And I thought about at that moment, I was reading something on this particular psalm. Um, and uh, there's a man named Derek Kidner who was writing on this. And, and, and he, he said this, he said, the hurricane shakes us into seeing that in a world of gigantic forces, we live by permission, not by good management. And at that moment, while I was sitting on that boat, I realized that my life was here by permission, not by good management. There were gigantic forces all around me, which I had no control over whatsoever. Another time I was flying back into Alabama. Those of you who've never spent time in Alabama, be careful. There are tornadoes there, and they're very scary. Um, I was flying in right as they were starting to spot tornadoes all over central Alabama. It was the scariest flight I've ever been on. The plane's going like this the whole time. I'm, I'm always afraid of flying. Uh, I feel like I have no control. There's no way to manage when you're on a plane, and there's nothing but air, you know, thousands of feet of air. But it's even scarier when the plane's going like this and this, and everybody next to you is throwing up, and, you know, it's, it was wild. But in that moment, I was reminded that there are things here that I have no control over in this world. Another time I was in Sierra Leone, West Africa. We were riding on dirt bikes. That's how they get around uh, through, the, through the trails in the woods, uh, or what they call roads in some of those parts. Um, and uh, we were coming back from a village. Uh, as we were coming back, we started to realize uh, this, it's, a, it's starting to rain. The guy I was with was not a small man. Uh, we had lost a bike on the way down. And so three of us were sitting on one bike uh, on the way back. And we tried to outrace the storm and didn't, didn't make it. You know, about 30 minutes into the three or four hour ride home, uh, we got hit and it was a downpour. By the time we got halfway back, we had to tow the second bike with a, with a rope. And so now we got two people on one bike towing two more in a downpour. Uh, you can imagine by the time we got back to the camp, it was such a stirring, such a scary moment, not just for me, but also for the driver that he said to me, he said, Caleb, when can I be baptized? <laughs> and the driver was baptized the next day. There are moments like that in our lives where we realize we're in the storm of life. And we look around and God uses the storms to humble us, to remind us that in a world of gigantic forces, we live by permission and not by good management. As the sailor looks around at the storm in the picture here in Psalm 107, all of their skills are useless. Doesn't matter how much experience you got on the water, doesn't matter how skilled you are as a sailor, all of their skills are useless as they look up at the waves and look down at the waves sinking to the depths. There are wondrous works that God does to humble men as well as save them. And many times in the storms of life, we can see evidence of the loving kindness of the Lord, working to humble us, working us to working to teach us to fear him, and working to show us his goodness. Have you ever been humbled by seeing the works of Yahweh, the wonders of the deep? Have you ever felt like when you look up, all you can see is the waves of life crashing down over your head? Have you ever felt like you were drowning and there was nothing you could do? You were so miserable that you were at your wit's end. 
Imagine being on the ship with Jonah. Do you remember that? You know, ordinary people just doing their day's work, you know, jumping on a boat to go take their normal travel transport to, to, to do their business in another place. And on jumps this guy from Israel. Um, and next thing you know, you get far enough away from shore that you can't swim back and you get hit by a storm. And the storm is so bad that you've never seen anything like it. Even though you have a history of being on, 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 on the boats and traveling like this often, you're, the storm is so ter ter terrible that you're terrified and you don't know what to do. So you start throwing things overboard. And you start telling everybody on the boat, call out your God. Maybe one of them will save us here. And finally, you find out about this man. He tells you he's a prophet, that, he's, that he worships the God of heaven and earth, the God of the earth and the sea. And then he tells you that he's been disobeying him. What would it be like to be in that storm? Well, don't you know that when Jonah gets thrown overboard and the wind and the wave cease, what did the men do? They called upon the name of Yahweh. They worshiped the one true God. Have you had moments like that in your life where God has shown you his power, where God has shown you his greatness, where God has shown you through the storms of life, in the storms of life, that he truly is loving and that he truly is kind. When I read this story, verse 27, 28, then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of his people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Amen. Amen. When I read this, I can't help but think, and I'm sure you can't either, of the story of Jesus. Do you remember another guy sleeping on a boat, you know, um, when storms getting bad all around? Do you remember this? Jesus said right before he returned to heaven, he told his disciples after he'd been risen from the dead that all the things that were written about me in the Psalms must be fulfilled. All the things that were written about me in the Psalms must be fulfilled. All right, here's what I want us to so, so desperately, this is what I want so desperately for each of us to walk away with this year. As we've been reading through the Bible in a year, I want us to walk away with this. Everything we've learned in the law, in the prophets, in the Psalms, everything we've been learning, it all points to Jesus. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. Any list of messianic prophecies is too short if it doesn't include the whole Old Testament. Jesus was the older brother who was sent by the gracious father to chase me down when I was wandering lost in the desert, thirsty and hungry and finding no well. Jesus was the one who ran to me and rescued me and brought me back home to that haven of rest. Jesus is the one who was the great redeemer, who God, even though he was exalted on the throne of God, the king of kings, God sent him down 
so that he could take my place. You've read the tale of two cities. This is this is this is where they got the idea. Came down to take my place in the imprisonment while I was stuck in chains, enslaved to sin, destined for death. He came down and by his death, he shattered the gates of that prison and cut the bars of iron asunder so that I might walk free. Jesus is the great redeemer. Jesus is the one who took my beatings so that by his wounds, I might be healed. So that through his suffering, my sickness might be relieved. Jesus is the one who, when I was caught in the storms of life and it looked like all hope was lost, and I recognized that I was living simply by his great permission, he's the one who calmed the storms, who guided me to my desired haven of rest. Psalm 107 would not be complete if we did not see this psalm fulfilled in Jesus. Where better do we see the loving kindness of the Lord than in his son, Jesus Christ? How do we know that the Lord is really loving? We have far more than the Israelites had at this time. For God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes people today wonder and they ask, how could a book as old as the Bible be still relevant today? How could a book that's been here for thousands of years have anything to say to us today? And I want to suggest to you that all of you who have been redeemed by the Lord, to every one of us who have seen the salvation of the Lord, to every one of us who have cried out to God when we were in deep distress, often caused by our own sin, and God heard us and he answered us and he saved us. It is our privilege. It is the privilege of the redeemed to tell this story. And so I want to invite you the next time you get an opportunity like this to take someone aside and to tell them of the loving kindness of the Lord. Say to them, let me take you to Psalm 107 and let me tell you the story of my life and the story of the loving kindness of the Lord at work in me. What does this mean for us? Obviously, it means a lot. We love because he first loved us. Everything that God has shown us in his great loving kindness is meant not just to save us, but also to transform us, to make us into his image bearers, his lights in the world, so that we extend that same love to other people. And we get to be Christ to the world around us. But I just want to leave you with the exhortations of the psalmist here, because he tells us what this psalm should mean for us, among many other things. It means that we should, together, give thanks to Yahweh for his loving kindness. It means that we should offer sacrifices, verse 22, of thanksgiving to him. And it means that we should tell the story of his works with joyful singing. Our God is an amazing God. There truly is no God like Yahweh in this world. We know people all around us who are worshiping and serving other gods that are leaving them empty, that are leaving them broken, that are leaving them searching, thirsty, hungry for something of meaning, something of value, something that can satisfy them. And we have the pearl of great price. 
We have the treasure that everybody is searching for. Let us tell that story of his works with joyful singing. Let us fulfill our mission as his servants to be children of the Father's love. How does John say that in 1 John 3 and verse 1? We'll end with this text. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. Praise God. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who scorned his perfect love. Amazing love. How can it be? that you, my God, would die for me. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Let us pray. Father, as we look into your word this year, we've been overwhelmed by your incredible loving kindness, your unfailing love, your steadfast, loyal love. Truly, your steadfast love never ceases. It never fails. It never comes to an end. Your mercies are new every morning, and we have experienced the goodness of you, our God. I pray, O oh Father, with great thanksgiving today, I pray. I'm so thankful for the times in which you have re retrieved us when we were lost and wandering around with no aim. You sent Jesus the way, the truth, and the life to show us the way, to guide us to that haven of rest. I'm so thankful, oh God, for the times in which we were, uh, our lives were broken by our sins. We, we were enslaved to sin. We were stuck in bondage and in chains. I'm so thankful, oh God, that you sent Jesus, the great redeemer, to rescue us, to take our place in, in the chains that we should have worn, to suffer and die the death that we should have died so that we might be set free. I'm so thankful, oh God, that when we were sick in our sin, when we were wasting away because of our own rebellious, foolish choices, that you sent Jesus, that by his wounds we might be healed. And I thank you, O oh God, that even in the storms of life, you have shown us evidence of your great loving kindness as you calmed those storms and you've eased our fears. And you've reminded us that when we cry to you, that you hear us and that your mercies endure forever. What can we offer a God like this? What could we offer you that would truly give you what you deserve? Oh, Lord, we're sorry for the failures of our offering. We're sorry for the times in which we failed to love you as we ought. We're sorry for the times in which we've uh, ignored all of the great kindnesses you've shown us. And we, we, we pledge to give thanks to you, oh God, for your loving kindness. We're sorry for the times in which we've offered nothing like a sacrifice, where we've been selfish and self-absorbed and forgotten that you called us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that you'll help us to offer up from this day forward sacrifices, living and holy sacrifices of thanksgiving to you day after day. I pray, oh God, that you'll help us open our lips to tell 
your story, the story of what you've done in our lives, the story of what you've done in other people's lives. Lord, open our lips to tell this story with joyful singing of your great works and your great loving kindness. We're so thankful, God, for what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray that we'll be stirred up to love you more faithfully and to love others for your sake by your great loving kindness. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.